Okay, this morning we're going to be looking at um, the introduction to the actual judgment of God that comes at the beginning of the day of the Lord. And then next week we'll begin the chronology of, of the tribulation time, the chronology of uh, what's laid out in the book of Revelation. I want to start this morning, though, by going back to Matthew 24. In the last few weeks we've been talking about God's program for the church. And I want to just mention one thing about understanding the age that we live in and the age to come. Uh, the disciples had asked the question to Jesus in the beginning of chapter 24 about what is a sign of your coming and the end of the age. And sometimes we get, even on your chart there, I, I've got the time of the church labeled as the church age. It's a little bit of a misnomer because the, the age is this current age and the age to come is the messianic age. And this current age doesn't end with the church being raptured. It ends with the coming of Christ to earth. Okay, so the age continues. So if you look at the parables in Matthew 13, it talks about at the end of the age, there'll be the dragnet and the wheats and the tares will be, you know, uh, identified at the end of the age. That's speaking more of Christ coming back and dividing the sheep and the goats. So it's not really talking about the church itself, period, but the church is a part of this age. And so the church is, is the, the entity God is using to preach the gospel during this part of this last days of this age. And then when the church is raptured out, then the Jews again will be called upon to be God's witnesses during the tribulation time. And then Christ comes back at the end of the age. So it's a little bit confusing if you just look at that and think that the church age is separate from the, 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 the age that we're now living in. So I want to make sure that I clarified that. Uh, in Matthew 24, uh, when we get to that end of the, the summary, uh, which we will go back and look at uh, this morning, he goes through the summary of the time of the tribulation in Matthew 24, and he gets to the end of that summary in uh, verse um, 32, and he says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree, when its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Now, what he's talking about there with the fig tree is the fig tree doesn't symbolize Israel. The fig tree doesn't symbolize anything other than just a tree. It says the fig tree and all the trees. And so what he's saying is when you see the, the trees beginning to bud in the spring, then you know that there's going to be summer around the corner. You know it's time for the trees to have the leaves and the fruit comes from them. And you know that that is around the corner. And likewise, when you see the events of the tribulation happen, know that this generation that sees those events happen will not pass away before Christ comes back and puts an end to all things. And he said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. I will fulfill everything that I have said that I'm going to do at the end of this age. And so if you go back to the 70 weeks of Daniel, they were given to completely fulfill all that God has spoken to Israel. And the last seven years of that 70 weeks of Daniel is the tribulation time. And so when he comes, to, when he comes back to set up his kingdom, he will establish that and all things will be fulfilled. Okay, so then he says, then he says, heaven and earth will not, well, then he says, 
in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the, son of, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. Now, when we talk about the coming of the Son of Man here, he's not talking about just the second coming to earth. He's talking about the coming in all forms of the advent of Christ, including the judgment that's going to fall. Because he compares it with the days of Noah. So it was just like in the days of Noah. That's what he says in verse 38. For as in the days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So in the days of Noah, Noah was building an ark, preparing for the judgment of the flood. Okay? And so he was building an ark out there on the dry land. It had never rained up until this time. And Noah was preaching that there's coming a judgment of God. It's going to rain. It's going to flood the entire earth. And all people are going to perish. Did the people hear and understand and believe what he said? No. They kept on living their lives as normal. They just said, it's not going to happen. So here he's talking about, just as it was in the days of Noah, it's going to be the same way again when the beginning of the second advent of the Lord comes. So when he says here, the coming of the Son of Man, he's talking about the second advent, which includes the rapture of the church. Now, the rapture of the church begins the day of the Lord. Okay? It's the event that, ta- that takes place suddenly, unexpectedly, as a thief of the night, when they're saying peace and safety, then suddenly they're going to be thrust into the day of the Lord. And the beginning of the day of the Lord will be a day of judgment, just like it was in the days of Noah. Okay? So the day and hour that no one knows that will appear suddenly on the earth is the beginning of the day of the Lord, which takes place simultaneously with the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is the next event that will cause the day of the Lord to begin. Anybody had a question about that? Now, I had a couple of questions about this next verse or two, and there are differences of interpretation on this, and I'm going to give you both. It says, For as in, the days of, uh, in those days, they were, before the flood, they were eating and they drinking, they were marrying and they were giving marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Now, there's two interpretations that are prevalent about these passages. The one is that the word that there will be two men in the field won't be taken is in the context the same as the, the verse before that when in the flood they were all taken in the flood. So therefore the one interpretation is that he's referring to those that are going to go through the tribulation and they're going to die in the tribulation. The other is that he changes the subject matter here when he says that then there shall be two men in the field, one will be taken, one will be left, and that refers to the rapture of the church. Okay? Now, I was kind of on the fence on that one. I said in the context it seems to be saying that the ones taken are the same in the, the two in the field, one will be taken, as the ones that were taken in judgment. It seems like that's what he's talking about in the context. But I've got to looking at the, the Greek words and I, I have changed my opinion on that. I think that he's talking about they'll be taken in rapture. And the reason I believe that is because of the words. The word in, in the, the Greek word in 39, when it says he took them all away, is a Greek word, A-I-R-O, and it means to remove 
And in the context of the flood, it was to be removed out of the world by death. And so it's to remove something out of the way. And so it takes something and removes it out of the way. The other word in the next paragraph, in the next passage, when it says the two men in the field, one will be taken and one will be left, that word for taken is not the same word. It is the word P-A-R-A-L-A-M-B-A-N-O, parabaleno, whatever, however you pronounce that. And that word in the Greek means to take unto yourself, to receive unto yourself. And in almost every case, that word is in a positive light of someone taking something dear to themselves. Now, you would have to change the normal meaning of that word to make it into that they were taken in judgment, because that would be opposite of what the Greek word normally would mean in that position, in that case. And there's a couple places where it's used kind of where you can say, well, like when when Satan took Jesus out to the wilderness. It's, it's that same word, but it's almost like Satan took Jesus unto himself to take him out there and to test him. And he, you know, he proved himself to be the righteous son of God, and so he didn't fall. So there's a couple verses, that, a couple word, places where that word is used that you could go either way. And it doesn't really change anything about the understanding of the second coming, whether whichever one of those is the accurate translation. But I do believe now that he's talking about that is the... The beginning of the day of the Lord, the beginning of the time of judgment, just like in the days of Noah, when the people were oblivious to what happens, then Christ is going to come down and take those with him to heaven and lead the others to go through the judgment. And the reason I think it's that way is because if you say that these were taken in judgment and the others were left, well, if the others are left, they're going into judgment too. I mean, they're going to be in the tribulation time and all of them are going to be judged during the tribulation. Unless you think, take it to mean at the end of the tribulation when these will be left to go into the kingdom age and the others will be taken. And that would be kind of like at the end of the tribulation where he separates the sheep from the goats. But that's just, I'm giving you both of those. I believe now that, I, that it does fit better in this context with that he's taking them, the, the one he's taken up to be with him and the other he's leaving to go through the judgment and we go from there. Okay, any, any questions about that? Didn't they say that uh, where, Lord, I mean, it says wherever the vulture, uh, uh, the corpse is, the, the vulture will be, that um, basically saying wherever there is, uh, uh, there's a corpse, then that's where the vulture will be. That's, I'm just trying to find where it is. Uh, I'm not sure if it, that would refer to the time of the tribulation, at the end of the tribulation, when, when he pours out his wrath and kills those, I think, where the birds are going to eat their flesh. But I'm not sure. Verse 28. Yes. That's when he's coming and he destroys the armies of the Antichrist and their bodies are there and that's where they're going to, yes. But that's, but if you go through the context in chapter 24, Jesus goes through the entirety of the tribulation to the, to the second coming of Christ to earth and then he starts here and then he says the beginning of that, no one knows the day of the hour when that begins, when all that uh, judgment happens. Okay. Yes. And 42 talks about being on alert and you don't know what day the Lord's coming. Gives the analogy of the thief coming. In what sense, and this might be a dumb question, what sense, I mean, we're to be about doing God's will, right? Yes. Making disciples. In what sense do we need to be on alert? It almost sounds like if we're not on alert, we're going to miss out on something. No, no. Okay, so we change. From this passage here, all the parables there, 
between verse uh, 43 uh, till you get to verse 31. All those parables are dealing with the people that are living at the time of the judgment. And they are, I mean, because you see, in every one of those, he, the, 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 the Lord comes, and some of them are not doing the will of God, some of them are, and so the ones that are not are going to be taken in judgment. So what he's saying there is that at the end of this, and that's why you get to, chapter, to verse 31, and he says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glory stone, and then all the nations will be gathered before Him. And so all the Gentile nations will be gathered, all the living people that are alive at the end of the tribulation when Christ comes back to earth. He's going to bring them all to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats and to identify those who are alert and ready for His coming and to be looking for. Just a little confusing because 40 and 41, right. he's talking about the rapture, and then he says, therefore, be on alert. I know. Right, so you don't have to be on alert for the rapture. It's just gonna, it's gonna but I think, uh, I know. It, it does, and that's why I say that there's, there's different, different opinions on the interpretation of that. Okay. In, in verse 33, this, this seems to be one of these verses where, you know, every generation people look around and say, all right, it's getting near. Yes. Okay. And, um, when it says, you see all these things, know that it's near. Exactly. I remember in the early 80s, I was a non-Christian at a Christian school, and they were teaching that. Yes. Soviet Union, dragging the helicopter. <laughs> I know. I know. And then they go to like verses like this, and see when you see all these things, it's near at the door. But that's what, yeah, but he's gone through and explained this whole passage of the abomination desolation that, that only occurs in the temple in Israel. When, he, when you see all these things, the generation that sees these things know that his coming is at the door. And so... Um, obviously, if you're seeing those things, you're in the middle of the tribulation. And so it's talking about the people that see the things that are going to... So it's just lack of understanding. Lack of understanding Scripture. And lack of comparing Scripture with Scripture. Okay? All right, now... Okay, so we're looking at the second advent of Christ. And in our teaching, we're, look, we're holding to the view that Christ is going to come back for His bride... And he's going to remove his bride to, to heaven. And then they're going to begin a, a time where there is a seven-year tribulation period. Now, what things have to happen before that tribulation period begins? The revealing of the Antichrist. Okay. First of all, the one thing that has to be, what starts the tribulation? Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, when he's talking about the 70 weeks of Daniel, and then he says the last week, because there's 69 weeks up until Christ is crucified, and then Christ is cut off, and then the, the people of Israel are destroyed, the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD, and then it says, and then the people of the prince who is to come uh, will destroy the city, and then he, the prince who is to come, which is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice. So the indication is that the Antichrist, the prince who is to come, will enter into a covenant with Israel for one week. And it indicates that the covenant will include them being able to have a temple built or a temple worship at that time. So before there can be the beginning of the tribulation, there had to be a nation of Israel in place. Okay? 
Now, it doesn't say that the nation of Israel had to be in place before the rapture, but the nation of Israel has to be in place before the tribulation begins. The tribulation is that exact seven-year period. And once it starts, the clock starts down to the day. So once that clock starts on the last seven days, Christ is coming back at the end of that time. At the end of the seven years, Christ is coming back. 1260 days, 1260 days, Jesus Christ comes back. He stops and puts an end to all of the tribulation. So the period between the rapture and that. We're not sure. And that, that's the apostasy or the falling away is happening during that time? Or? Yes. Or it will be, you can't have entered into this seven year period without the Antichrist being revealed as the Antichrist and without the remaining church being apostatized. So, yes, that's got to take. It could be 100 years, but probably not, but it could be. Okay, so. Just the actual tribulation was about halfway through that week, right? Because up to, that, up to the halfway point, the Antichrist will make a covenant or. Uh, no, no. The Antichrist will make a covenant at the beginning. Yeah. And at the midpoint, he stops, yeah. he breaks the covenant. Right. The but then, no, no, tribulation starts at the beginning. But the time of Jacob's trouble starts at the middle because he doesn't persecute the Jews until the middle. Okay, so we'll, we'll make a distinction on that when we get to the chronology of the book of Revelation. The tribulation begins when suddenly, when they were saying peace and safety, all of a sudden it is, they're in the tribulation. And as we go through the chronology of the book of Revelation of the first 1260 days, that's when all of the trumpet judgments are poured out. So it's not going to be a time of peace and security and safety. It's going to be a time of great tribulation then. And then the second half is when the Antichrist becomes total dictator and it becomes the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay, so the events that must take place before the tribulation. Now, there's no event that has to take place before the rapture. You can have the rapture and you can have a time span between the rapture and the beginning of the tribulation, which I believe that will happen. But you could not have the tribulation begin without Israel being a nation. And so now Israel has become a nation, and the Bible says that they will come back in apostasy or agnostic. They will not be believers. They will not come back as the, the remnant that is saved. They'll first come back as an unbelieving people, and then they will go through the judgment of the tribulation, and then they'll have a remnant that will be saved, and all Israel will be saved at the end. Okay, now there's a couple other things that we talked about. On your chart, it shows that the times of the Gentile kingdoms... If you go to that passage in Daniel chapter 7, talking about the vision that Daniel had about the four kingdoms, and then in chapter, in verse, uh, in verse 23 of Daniel 7, when he's talking about the last part of the fourth kingdom, he said thus, he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. At the end of this age, before the beginning of part of the tribulation anyway, the Roman Empire will have to be revived to, a, to an extent to where they will be able to persecute Israel again. It says that this empire will become a one world government. Now the question is, will that happen before the rapture or after the rapture? 
We don't know. Because if the rapture took place today, then the world will be in somewhat of a turmoil. And it has to become a one world government that is going to be controlled by 10 kings or 10 leaders. And then out of those 10 kings and 10 leaders will rise the Antichrist as king. So by the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist will be king. It doesn't say that he couldn't be the Antichrist before the middle, but he doesn't become king. So in that scenario, these 10 kingdoms and the one world government could take place after the rapture. The world could become one world government and the, it could be divided into 10 kings. The Antichrist could be the orchestrator of all this. And then at the midpoint, he can subdue three of those kings and take over the rulership of the world and become that king that is mentioned here. So the time frame of the 10 kings and the one world government, we may see it and it may come after the rapture. Okay? It has to be in place by the beginning of the seven years, the 10 kings do, and, it, and it has to, the Antichrist has to be king at the midpoint. But it, to, to be fulfilling this prophecy in Daniel, it doesn't have to take place prior to the rapture. And it doesn't even... Antichrist will not be king until the midpoint, so he could still fulfill this prophecy about the, the, the little horn or the, the last king coming to power in the middle and still not, it could happen at the beginning of the tribulation with the ten kings. So uh, there's another thing that happens, and that is the temple has to be rebuilt before the middle of the tribulation. But it doesn't have to be built before the beginning of the tribulation. It could be built at the time when they sign the covenant with the Antichrist. He may give them the right and the, the power to go ahead and build the temple and begin temple worship. It's at the midpoint that he comes in and takes that away. Okay, so the temple has to be built sometime in Jerusalem uh, between now and the middle of the tribulation, but it doesn't have to be built before the tribulation begins. So Paul, you said that the Jewish people have a time that he will allow them to be the nation and not make them worship him, but then yes. at some point he makes them, is that what Okay, saying? yes. So either right after the rapture, the church, the, the Christendom that is not part of the true church, will apostatize. At the same time the church will apostatize, the Antichrist will invoke his program of anti-Christian. And that's part of their apostatize is that they will join with the Antichrist in an anti-Christian world. There's one other thing that takes place that we don't know the timing of. And that is the Ezekiel 38, 39 passage where it says an army from the north, from Russia, joined with Turkey and Iran, is going to invade northern Israel. And God is going to destroy them armies. He's going to destroy those coastlands of those peoples. And then it says the people of Israel will use the materials left behind by the armies for seven years. Now, Arnold Frutenbaum has a book out. He's a Jew, and he wrote a book on the, the events of the Second Coming, the events of all this. He believes that it has to take place three and a half years before the tribulation begins because he says at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Jews are fleeing the land, and they won't be using the materials. I'm not convinced of that. I think it could happen at the beginning of the tribulation, be the wars that begin the tribulation, 
and it goes for the seven years. The people of Jerusalem are fleeing Jerusalem, but it doesn't say that all the people of the land are fleeing the land. So either way, but though, that's, that's another thing that's got to happen sometime. But we may see, I don't think we'll see that because I don't think there's any sign of a direct intervention of God in a judgment way until the church is raptured. And when this invasion of this army occurs, everybody will know that God destroyed them with fire down from heaven or whatever, how means he does it. it everybody will know that God did it. It won't, be, it won't be, well, God protected Israel in the Six-Day War. Well, he did, but it wasn't a direct intervention of God from fire from heaven that killed the Arabs. Okay? This one will be like that. It will be God's intervention in a, in a display way in which everybody will see that. Okay, so on earth, at the time of the beginning of the day of the Lord, at the time of the rapture, right now on earth, things are being laid, the foundation being laid for the judgment that's to come. Just like when Noah was building the ark, the foundation was being laid for the flood to come. So right now we're seeing the foundation, and we don't know when it's going to be, but we're seeing the foundation being laid for the judgment to call. I mean, when Israel became a nation in 1948, that was part of that understanding. And now we're going to see a rise of the, the Roman Empire again because the Roman Empire and all the empires that were given from Nebuchadnezzar to, to the final one are there to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel. And so we're going to see that. So on earth, everything is being laid out to lay the stage for the coming judgment of God as the day of the Lord begins. Now, we'll get into the details of the timing of the tribulation in the seven years there. Uh, probably beginning next week. But if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 4. Because at the same time that the earth is being prepared for judgment, you have a scene in heaven about what's going on in heaven while they're preparing for the judgment on earth. Now, as you, look, as, you, as you look at the book of Revelation, if you go back and begin in chapter 1, when Jesus gives the revelation to John and he tells to write these things, he says in verse 19, Write, therefore, the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. Now, the first thing, the things which you have seen is the glorified Christ. So in chapter 1, he gives a description of the glorified Christ. In chapters 2 and 3, he gives the things that are, which is the church in its, its ministry, its time frame. So the letters to the seven churches represent seven literal churches. It also represents a time frame for the church age, and it represents a type of churches that are going to be prevalent through that time uh, and so that's what the chapters 2 and 3 are about. And then it says, the things which shall take place after these things refers to after these things about the church. So you go to chapter 4, and he says, after he wrote about the letters to the seven churches and about the information about the church age, he starts out with that phrase, after these things. So the, these things he's talking about is the church and all of its place and all of its going. In chapter 3, uh, I mean chapter 
3, verse 10, when he's talking to the church of Philadelphia, he says, Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world, to test those who dwell upon the earth. So he's referencing the believing church will not be a part of the testing that's fixing to come upon the whole earth, which is the time of God's judgment and tribulation. So in verse 1 in chapter 4, he says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard had heard, like the sound of a trumpet, speaking with me, saying, Come up here, I will show you what must take place after these things. So now we're talking about everything from chapter 4 to the end of the book is future. It's future after the church. So it's future after the rapture of the church. And from chapter 4 in Revelation all the way until chapter 19 where you talk about the bride, the bride prepared for the, bride, for the wedding ceremony and then in chapter, 20, uh, chapter 19 when you see the saints coming back with Christ, the church is not mentioned anywhere else in the, in the next few chapters of the book of Revelation. But here you see it says, immediately, after, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were 24, el- 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. So who are the 24 elders? Depends on which commentary you read. I, 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 was, I was reading John MacArthur's commentary just to, to see what he said about that. And, and I do agree with John MacArthur. He says it's the church. He said, the Old Testament saints will not be resurrected until after the tribulation. When you have the, the white robes of righteousness, it indicates that you have a glorified body and a resurrected body. And the only ones that would be resurrected at this time would be the church saints. So most people do believe that the 24 elders refer to the church. Some believe it refers to Israel saints, I mean the Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, but it seems more indicative of the church saints. And it gives a picture of the church saints having gone through the, the judgment seat of Christ because they had their crowns. Um, if the chronology is, is not looking ahead and the chronology is there, that means the judgment seat of Christ would have occurred at the before the seals are broken and then the tribulation begins. So that would in, indicate that maybe the rapture is prior, enough time to have the church go up and have the judgment seat of Christ prior to the tribulation time. I'm not sure whether you're looking ahead at the thrones or if those thrones are the same as the ones that we receive. I mean, those crowns are the same as we receive the judgment seat of Christ. But anyway, you see this scene in heaven with, it seems to be the church saints in heaven, not on earth. And then you see a picture of the throne. And from the throne, verse 5, proceed flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal in the center around the throne, the four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. And the first creature was like a lion, the second creature like a calf, and the third creature was like, had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes within and without, and day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Now, who are the living creatures? Huh? I'm sorry? The seraphim? Okay. These are the same ones that are mentioned in Ezekiel chapter 1. 
So these are angelic beings that are around the throne, and they do not cease day and night to cry out and worship Christ and worship God and say, holy, holy, holy. And it says, when the, and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the, four, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and because of thy will they existed and were created. So here you have this scene in heaven where it's depicting a, a worship of God Almighty in preparation to what's fixed to be poured out on earth. And John sees a picture, what I believe is the church saints in their glorified state in heaven prior to the pouring out of the judgment on earth. Now, chapter 5 is what I want to introduce you to before we get to next week when we look, begin to do the chronology. In chapter 5 it says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So here you have this scene in heaven where God the Father is sitting on the throne and there is a description of the glory that surrounds Him because God is a spirit. There's no physical being that you can see. You see all the glory around the being. But there is, a, there is a scroll or a book that He has in His right hand and no one is found worthy to open the book, which means there's no person in heaven or earth, no man or no being that is able to open the book. And John is despairing. We can't have the book open. What is the book? Huh? Nope. It is the right to have dominion on earth. What happened in the garden? God gave the dominion to Adam. He said, You have dominion. You have been given the right to rule all of the animals, all the plants. Everything on earth is yours. And what happened? He believed the lie of Satan. Or he, he didn't necessarily believe it, but he joined with Eve in disobeying God. And Satan usurped that dominion. We know that because in Luke chapter 4, when Satan is attempting Jesus, he says... He takes him up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world for they were given to me. Who gave them to him? Adam had the right. God gave Adam the dominion and Adam gave it up to Satan. And Satan now is the God of this world. He has dominion. So the lion of the tribe of Judah, how did he overcome? He was the second Adam. The first Adam represented man into sin. The second Adam was to represent man into righteousness. Therefore, in Christ we live. In Adam we die. In Christ we live. In Adam we are all under condemnation. In Christ, all those who are in Christ have now the righteousness of God. So he went to the cross as the second Adam, as a second representative of mankind, and he died for their sins, and he was resurrected because he was holy and righteous. 
And the payment he paid was a righteous payment, and God honored that, and he raised him from the dead. And so he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And so I saw in between the throne uh, with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. The seven horns represent what? Kingdom, authority, dominion. Perfect dominion. The term seven refers complete authority. The lamb has all authority, all dominion, all power. And with the seven eyes of the spirit, he has all knowledge. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He has all authority, all power, all dominion, and he has all knowledge. And he came and took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And he had, when, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the book, to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign where? On the earth. So he's talking about having the dominion and the right to come back to earth and set up a kingdom where we will reign on the earth with him and he will reign as the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he will take back the dominion that Satan now has, because what is his, what is his first thing he does when he comes back besides killing the Antichrist? He takes Satan, and he binds him, and he puts him in the pit, so that during the thousand years of the reign of Christ, Satan has no right of any uh, dominion, has no right to even bring up a word of deceit, a temptation, Satan is placed in the pit because the second Adam, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, has taken back the dominion and he's going to reign on earth. So it fits from the beginning of creation all the way through the historical account of what's happening to, with Israel and now the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is sitting on David's throne on the earth. He's coming back to take back the kingdom and he's going to sit on David's throne and he's going to rule the earth from David's throne. And the Jews will be the head of the nations and the king of the Jews will be the king of the world. And the believers in Christ Jesus, the bride, will come back with him to reign with him during the kingdom age. So the book, the book is the right to have that dominion it is the title deed to the earth. It is the right to rule the earth. It is the, it is the, the one who has this, has the, uh, the dominion and the power to rule the earth. Now, what are the seven seals? The seven seals are the entirety of the events and the judgments of the seven years. The entirety. Everybody looks at these seven seals and they say, well, you first you have seven seals and then you got seven trumpets and you got seven bowls. No, no, no. The seven seals are the entirety that it takes to open the book. And it includes all of the events and all of the judgments that give birth to the kingdom age. 
So in Matthew chapter 24, when Jesus says these are the beginning of birth pangs, when you start breaking these seals, it's the beginning of birth pangs that give birth to the kingdom. And so the, the seven years are the events that take place that allow Jesus Christ to come back and set his foot on the ground and be the king of kings. What's the last thing that happens in the seven years? The one prerequisite that has to take place before Jesus can return for Israel. Remember Matthew 23? What did he say to the Jews in Matthew 23? The end of that chapter. He says, you will not see me again. Not see me again until you say, blessed is he who came, comes in the name of the Lord. In other words, until they call upon Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter 10, chapter 11, 9 through 11 is all about the Jews coming to salvation and the remnant calling upon him. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. At the end of the tribulation, the nation of Israel, the remnant, is going to call upon the name of the Lord and he's going to return at that time, at the end of the tribulation. So the last event of these seven years that is being brought into place because of the judgments are being poured out, including the judgment upon the nation of Israel, to cause them to have their... They're, they're so crushed by the, the power of the Antichrist, Satan, and the false prophet, and the desire for Satan to wipe them off the face there. They're under such tremendous burden of the, of the judgment of God upon them through the, the unholy trinity that they're going to cry out for Christ. Because the preaching has been what? All the way through the, the tribulation. The 144,000 Jews are proclaiming that Jesus is king. The two witnesses are, are proclaiming in, Jer in Jerusalem that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. He's the Lord. And so all the way through the tribulation, the message is clear. Jesus is the one. And the Antichrist is saying, no, you worship me. I am God. So he does the abomination of desolation. The Jews had to flee and the remnant get out and they flee. And then as they begin to, to understand all of the messages, the Spirit of God opens up their hearts and they cry out for Jesus Christ to come back. And he comes back. So the seven seals, as we begin to see next week, all of the seven seals will be broken at the beginning of the tribulation and the effects of each seal will be carried out through the entire seven years. For instance, just real quickly, look at verse 1 of chapter 6. And I saw when the Lamb broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying it with a voice of thunder and I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. The first seal is giving the authority to the Antichrist. What did it say in 2 Thessalonians? The lawless one's coming, but he who restrains him will be taken out of the way. In other words, the Spirit of God will no longer restrain the Antichrist from being the one to go forth to conquer. So with the breaking of the first seal, you have the introduction of the Antichrist. And he is given the authority to begin to conquer. And he will continue to conquer until the midpoint, when he kills the three kings and he gets killed and he's brought back to life and now the people are in awe with him because he come back from life and now he's empowered by Satan himself and he takes over the other seven kings and he takes over the rule of the world and then for three and a half years he has the authority to rule the world. So you see the program of the Antichrist begins with the breaking of the seal, the first seal, and that program of the Antichrist goes for the entire seven years. It's not that this happens and that's it. it. 
the program continues for the entire seven years. And we're going to find that is the case through all the seals. So all the seals are broken, and the effects of the, all the seven seals go, their, their consequences of those seven seals carry through the whole seven years, and then the tribulation ends. And that's, that allows for the kingdom to come. So the seven seals are the, the events that are holding back the birth of the kingdom. And so when, when the seven seals are carried out, and the, the effects of the seven seals are carried out, then the kingdom will come. Did you have a question? I think you answered it, but oh. uh, just in picturing my mind, if you had a book, you would just break one and say, oh, this is what's going to happen now. Now the next one, you're saying it cuts all the seals at once. Everything happens over that whole time from all of the seals together. Yes. But the seals have to be carried out to their conclusion. So the seals, it's, when you break the seals, it means that the, the, the effects or the events of that first seal have to be carried out to its conclusion, and that's what's going to happen. And so you're going to see that, and it's going to be from chapter 6 through chapter 19, apart from a few parenthetical passages and, and chapters, it's going to be a chronology of those seven years. And we're going to see that as we get into that next week. Okay, so you have the scene in heaven where Jesus takes the book, and he has the authority to break the seals. And then beginning next week, we're going to see the breaking of the seals and then how that begins to carry out the judgments of the seven-year tribulation. And so at the beginning of the tribulation, then now we have everything in place. You have the ten kings. You have the one world government that is, that is governed by ten kings. You have the one world religious system that's put in place by the Antichrist and the false religious leaders of the church. You have the church apostatized where the church has, has agreed with the Antichrist, uh, the Antichrist position that Jesus Christ is to be done away with. His name is to no longer be mentioned. And the church that is left behind will reject Jesus Christ as the name. They will no longer name themselves Christian. And they will take away all the tenets and the doctrines of the Christian church. And they will adopt a one world religious system that will be coinciding with the ten kings that rule the earth. And the Antichrist will orchestrate all these to coalesce behind getting power to rule the whole world. So he'll use the religious system to get the people behind him, and then he'll get to the midpoint, and then we'll see at that midpoint he destroys the religious system, he destroys the temple worship, and he sets himself up as God and says, there is no religion, it's me, I'm God, you worship me. And we're going to see, they, the, and the world will worship the Antichrist. Okay. That's where we're going to be going. So we'll start next week on chapter 6, and we'll do a chronology of the seven seals that go through the seven years of tribulation.